great. We good? Everybody have a great fourth. Happy fourth, fifth. Today's the fifth, right? Today is the fifth of July. I want to thank everyone for tuning in online, that whether you're watching us live or you're watching us later, we want to say welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in wherever part of the country and whatever time zone that you're tuning in from. We want to say welcome and thank you. We trust that God's word and God's spirit will minister to your heart, your life, your mind, and that today you'll be encouraged and enriched by the truth of who Jesus is, that he is the savior, he is the king, and through him we have everything we need from the Father God. Amen. Well, we're going to just jump right into it this morning. So good seeing everybody's face this morning. It's a little hot out there, isn't it? Man, yesterday was a hot one. Um, If you have your Bibles, you have your phone, whatever it is that you're going to be reading scripture with, we're going to start, we're going to be reading in Acts today. We're going to be reading Acts 1, 1 through 11. And we're going to be taking a dive into something and see how the Lord would want to speak to us through his truth this morning. But it says in Acts 1.1, it'll be on the screen if you're following along. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom um, to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. This is what they said, men of Galilee, why? Why do you stand? Why are you here standing, looking into heaven? Question the angel proposes, why are you standing here looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go in to heaven. As we pray, let's think about that question. Why are you standing here? Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you would take the truth of God's word and you would make it real. You would make it relevant to our hearts, our lives, our situations, our family. For this time, in this country, in our culture, where we work, where we live, where we go about doing life, may your word enter into those seasons and those phases of our life right now to transform to touch, and to cause us to be moved to be like Jesus. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Everybody, can you, everyone hold up their hands? I want to make sure everybody still has your fingers. Last night we almost blew off a finger, so I want to make sure we didn't need to have a healing service before we got started. But man, of course, Danielle was talking about watching fireworks. We always do fireworks. And last night, Abby got really brave and she started lighting everything on her own she didn't need dad's help anymore and proving 
to me and everybody else that she's got what it takes. And just thinking about fireworks, obviously you think about 4th of July because that's what it was yesterday. And when you think about the 4th of July, you think about 1776 where some people got together in a room and they signed the Declaration of Independence. It was in that room that the Continental Congress got together and they decided they were no longer going to stand for the tyranny that Britain was bringing upon the colonies. It was there that they decided that they were going to stand for something we still stand for today, whether we stand for it which way, but it was so that we could have freedom. We could have free, freedom of religion, we could have freedom of voice, we could have freedom. We still fight for that. I was talking to an officer the other day and he says, man, like, here's why I fight for freedom. I fight for freedom so you can choose what you want to do. You want to worship God, you want to worship the freedom of religion. He's like, I fight and I stand for, for freedom military man that I talked for, he's like, it's kind of funny because people always, he goes, I'm not trying to tell people how to believe, but he goes, honestly, when I go fight a war, I think I fight for freedom, whether you want to stand for the flag or kneel for the flag, that's the freedom I'm fighting for. And so when we think about freedom and you think about being able to vote and you think about all these different freedoms that we have, that we get to come together today at 128, the memorial, and we don't have to go to a certain place at a certain time in a certain part of the city, that we get to have some freedoms in this place. And the reason why we do is we can go back to 1776 and Philadelphia born and raised on the playground. I don't think they spent most of their days. But back then we think about what happened in the beginning and what happened in the beginning in the fabric of our country is still happening today that people are wanting freedom. And it wouldn't be surprising to any of us when we talk about freedom that we don't think about that being in the fabric of our country, that we stand for freedom. Now, we all might do it in different ways, and we always haven't probably done the best job of that at all. But at the same time, when you go back to the beginning, you find out what this country was built from, it tells us what we're built for, for freedom, for liberty. The same is true here in this Acts. It's part of Luke's gospel, and... When Luke first wrote this, it was believed not to be separated, but it was two books put together, meant to be read from Luke 1.1 all the way to the end of Acts. It was one continual story to describe who Jesus was, what Jesus did, what Jesus said. But then when Jesus, right here we read, he ascended into heaven. And I believe that when we see what we've been built from, tells us today in 2020 what we're built for. When we see what the church was built from, it tells us what we're built for. That's our underlying thing we'll say. We need to understand what we're built from. Otherwise, we'll get confused today what we're built for. There's all these questions and things going on right now about what the church and we can't maybe gather together and we often forget what the church is. So we're going to take a dive into what the church is because when we realize what we're built from, it will tell us what we're built for. And I believe we're built for today. Thinking about these men of Galilee, the angel appears to them. And I'm thinking about this picture about the disciples who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, even did miracles with Jesus. It's recorded that Jesus sent them out twice. He sent them out as the twelve. And then he called 72 together and sent them out again. So it wasn't like these guys had never performed, and these women have never performed miracles before. 
These people understood the message of Jesus. They actually later record these words, not after what he did after his ascension, but rather what he did while he was on earth walking with them and talking with them. And think about all the different things that Jesus overcame. He overcame sickness and he overcame the power of the devil and he overcame the waves and the wind and the storms. But here Jesus now has just got done 40 days before overcoming death and the grave. What greater thing could Jesus have overcome? But here now Jesus is getting ready to astonish them again because it seems like every time they turn around, Jesus is doing something that challenges them, that changes them, dare I say, that moves them. Here Jesus is being ascended to heaven, overcoming the law of gravity, which they had all, whether they learned it in science or they jumped off a rock and realized that gravity is real. And here Jesus is, and again, they're looking on Jesus, which they had always done here on earth. They followed Jesus. They looked to Jesus. When they needed an answer about God, they asked Jesus. When they needed a miracle, they looked to Jesus. Jesus was there. But now Jesus is being ascended to heaven. And as he's being ascended to heaven, Scripture records that two angels appear. And you and I, we know the history of the Bible. We understand that whenever an angel shows up, there's a message dare we say, actually a purpose that's going to be revealed. The angel appears to Mary when she's getting ready to have a a child and the angel reminds her and lets her know that she's been chosen of God, that she's going to be a virgin, she's going to be, it's going to be born of the Holy Spirit. And when her husband goes crazy and is thinking about divorcing her and thinking about all the crazy conversations that are going to be happening over dinners and at work and he's sitting there getting a drink of water and the other guy goes, bro, I've been seeing that girl is, is, is having a baby. So are y'all, I thought you, wait, what? In Jewish culture, it was completely crazy to do this before marriage because it was illegal actually. Her being a virgin on her marriage was actually a legal thing. And if she wasn't proven to be a virgin on the day of marriage, he legally could divorce her. Some of them could be, women could be ostracized from society. Even death could face them because they weren't. So here Joseph is trying to think, bro, I don't think I can do this. And it says that he was quietly thinking about divorcing Mary. And the angel shows up to him and tells him, no, what is in her is of the Holy Spirit. It's so much so that you're going to name him Jesus and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. I'm choosing you, Joseph. I'm going to give you my purpose. I'm going to give you my place. And I'm going to do something that's actually not going to just change you. It's going to change the entire world. The baby's born and the angel shows up. They go and the angel reminds them after he's born that they need to flee because now someone so every time we see joseph and mary and jesus needing direction we see an angel showing up and not only giving them direction but purpose john the baptist's father has a message from god to name him john the baptist who will prepare the way we see all throughout the acts that when an angel shows up the angel is going to give God's direction, Paul is shipwrecked and in the middle of the night and he had given up hope, it tells us at the end of Acts and the angel shows up and says, hey, don't forget your purpose, you will go, you will have to stand before Caesar. We see the angel opening the prison doors. We see angels at work all throughout the message of Jesus. So when we read here, when the angel shows up, 
part of us, it's just part of our pretty story that we have come to believe about Jesus. But actually the angel of the Lord is getting ready to reveal to you, to me, to this early church, what we're built from so we can know what we're built for. And the angel says this, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Why you stand? Yo, uh, did you just see that guy raise up from like, he levitated. That's why we're standing here and we're looking through these clouds to see where he went because we've never seen anything like this before. But have you ever had your kid or had a friend or had someone do something and you asked them why? But the question why wasn't like, why did you do it? The idea is you knew you shouldn't have done that. And the question of why is actually masking your frustration and even your, your anger. Why did you do that? Well, we knew why they did that. They're rebellious. Then you'd be locked in the room for 12 years. Well, can't do that. So we'll be arrested. But why did you do that? We ask these questions not really to ask why, but we're really asking, you know what you should have done. You know the right thing to do. Why didn't you do the right thing? And I believe this is the question the angel is proposing. Why? Why, why are you standing here looking into heaven? The other day, two weeks ago, I guess it's been three weeks ago, I was there. I was reading everything that was going on in our country. I was seeing everything that has happened. And I was asking that, like, God, this is so much. And I was prayer walking, complaining, talking kind of to God. I don't understand what's going on. This feels so heavy. You don't have to get too much news to understand that there's a lot going on. And when you think about everything that's going on and everything that could happen and might happen and would happen, and I was thinking about the kids and now they're saying that they're asking parents who stay home if they could stay home with their kids. And there's just like everything around me is changing and everything is moving and everything is, is, is a, it's like it's in this motion. It's, it's not stable. It's like it's changing day to day. And it's just when everything's not stable, it like starts making you dizzy. It's overwhelming. And I was like, God, I don't understand why this is so overwhelming. God knew my heart, I believe, because my heart was burdened. My heart was heavy. My heart was trying to figure out what to do, what my, my part is to do. If I'm supposed to say, what, what do I do? Here's what I at least know to do. I know how to pray. But I really, at this moment, didn't know how to pray the right way. So I just opened my mouth and complained. I don't get it. This isn't fair. This isn't right. I don't understand. As I got done with that, almost tears got to my eyes. I was so frustrated. I was so burdened. I was so heavy. I couldn't understand in my mind, no matter what person I talked to or what view I, I tried to take or what state. It just, it didn't make sense. And at that moment, these words rose up in my heart. You were built for this. You were built for this. You were built for this. No, I wasn't. I was built for a bed right now. That's what I need is a nap. I was built for some more coffee being poured down my throat to awaken my life. I was built for people to talk nice to me and treat me nice. I was built for, for, for comforts. I was built for the, and I started thinking about all these things. I was, and I was just like, those words just kept rising in me. You were built for this. 
what is this? This was everything I probably just got done talking about. And as I went through the history of the Bible, I began to realize that God, I think I shared this a couple weeks ago, there's, we only have maybe seven chapters in the entire Bible where the world is perfect. No problems. We're in heaven, gathered together, or before the garden, before the eating of the fruit. Seven chapters in the entire Bible, and every time I read a prophet showing up, every time I read God moving, every time I read God speaking, every time I see God doing something, there was not a world without problems. See, we think that sometimes the church, too, we were built to stand and to look up and to be awed with Jesus. We believe that our job is to gather in a building and stand here in the comforts of air conditioning and the comforts of life. And we believe that our job as a church is to gather in a building. We call it the house of the Lord. We call it the church. We call it all of these names. And what we've done as a culture is we've made our, our, our natural mind believe the church is a group of people that gather at a certain time on a certain day. And we believe that's what we've been built for. But when we go back to the message, why is the angel asking these disciples, these men and these women who have given up everything, why are you standing here looking into heaven? And I believe their response was my response this day, because you've got the power to change everything. Just do something. Just move. Just blow. Just send rain from heaven. Do something from heaven. And the question is, why are you standing there? Because Jesus just told them a few verses before this in the conversation, in the narrative, is I'm leaving, you're staying, and I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And guess what? You are no longer going to be stationary any longer. You will be moving in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Governments won't be able to stop you. They'll shut buildings down, but that won't be able to stop you because I am not confined to a building, but I'm going to pour myself into you and give you my wisdom and give you my creativity. I'm going to give you my power. I'm going to give you myself and nothing will stop you. Jesus made this declaration knowing that Caesar actually letting them know that most of them would actually die a martyr's death. And he didn't say, now, after you're martyred, we're going we're gonna to pause and stop. No, we weren't built from stopping. When we read Jesus, O men of Galilee, they were from Galilee. That tells them where their family in Israel had stopped. And where their family stopped, there was a heritage, there was a raising, there was a development. And you might have been developed in a city and it might try to define you. But when you came to know Jesus, your home city no longer defines you. But there's a name that's greater than that city's name and that culture that now defines you. And now there's a new way, a new kingdom, a new city that we are chasing after. And they said, here, if you're going to look to heaven for anything, don't look for God to come down and make something happen. You're going to look because he is not just going to be in heaven. He one day will return for you, his bride, because he's not coming for a building. He's not coming from a denomination. He's coming for people who have called on his name and received his spirit and have been birthed into a new birth. That's us. And I believe God this morning is inviting us 
to this thing called the movement. The movement. He's inviting us into the movement. Because ever since God began creating, nothing stood still. We were not made for comfort. We were not made for times of stability. This time when he calls the church is actually a a very unstable time in the Jewish culture, in the Roman culture, in all the cultures of the earth. They're always changing and Rome's coming in and it's changing and taxes are changing and the Rome's sending a new king and a new leader with new rules. When the church was created, it was created in a time of trouble. Why? Because you and I were created for times of trouble. Why? Because the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. When I see the story of Jesus and we read the story of Jesus, if we could put Isaiah 61 one up there, we read the prophet declaring what Jesus would do, who Jesus would be. In Isaiah 61 one, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. He's anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to those who are bound. Okay, that group right there, the brokenhearted, the captives, the poor, the prisoners. This is what they will become after I get done with them. Verse 2, they will move because they will understand the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn next. And I will grant to those who mourn in Zion. This group of people, they will no longer stay, but they will be moved. They will have a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint or depressed or overcome spirit. That they might be called. I will change their name. They might be from Galilee, but culture will eventually call them Christians. They might be from Galilee, and they are known to be uneducated, country-talk, small-town-minded people, but one day people will say, I don't understand it. They talk weird. They aren't educated. They don't know our dialect of Hebrew. But here's what we do know. They have been with Jesus. They will be called. Verse 3. But they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glory. This is the story of Jesus, and later in Luke 4, Jesus will say, this is being fulfilled today. Today, this I'm arriving, this is about me, and I'm going to step into it and just follow me, because my whole thing is I move people from death to life, from blindedness to open eyes, from death to hearing. I move people, my teachings, guess what? His, Jesus' teachings was not, here's where you're at. His teachings were, here's where you can move to. Anyone remember when maybe you lived in a place that you didn't maybe like so much, and then you got to move to a place that you really liked, and you remember the freedom and the joy that came? You remember maybe when you moved jobs, and maybe the job wasn't everything you thought it was going to be. It was frustrating. It was, it, was, it was not so good. And then you move to a new position or a new job. And you're like, wow, this is a life I never knew existed. You remember when moving something, you moved. Think about a time that you moved something and it was so much better. 
It might have cost you more, but the rewards were so much better. Isn't that the story of Jesus? It'll cost you everything, but it'll be worth everything. This is the story of Jesus, and it's weird because he calls them, they will be called oaks of righteousness. I want you to think about an oak tree. It has roots that are twice as deep as it is high. And oak trees, when you build something out of oak, it will last. An oak tree, think about the oaks of Oklahoma. Think about all the droughts and think about all the ice storms and tornadoes. Think about all the different turbulent times that come through our weather patterns. And think about that oak tree that is still standing there, firm and strong, shading you, waiting to build furniture for you. And I believe this is what God is inviting the church today into. It's great that we get to gather into a building, but when we start defining who we are by a building or a name on a building, I like what Bishop T.D. Jake said. He says, most denominational affiliations that people had is where the movement stopped for them. The church is always moving. And what we want to do is we want to find a place. We looked up to Jesus and we thought, I can see Jesus. I'm going to stay right here. I'm just going to stay right here. I'm going to park right here. It's comfortable. We build chairs, then we build a tent, and then we build a building, and then we get other people to look the way that we look from the angle that we look and see what we see, write songs about what we see, do what we see, tell other people they got to see what we see. When they don't see what we see, we beat them over the head and tell them they got to see what we see, and they just stop. Instead of inviting people to do what the disciples were invited to do. No, don't stop. Don't get comfortable. Because here's the whole purpose. This is what you were built from. This is what Jesus was built from. Let's go back, if we could, to Isaiah 61.1. How did Jesus do what he did? What does it say right away, the very first line? The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me and will move me into dark places to bring light. Is that not what Jesus did? The spirit of the Lord God is upon me to move me. Peter clarified it a little bit deeper for some onlookers that had heard about Jesus and knew everything that they, he did, but Cornelius and his house hadn't come to actually know Jesus personally. And in Acts 10, 30, I believe 36 is the one that I have up there, it says, it kind of tells the story of how it got started. As for the word he sent, so this is Peter giving a message. He says, as for the word that he sent Israel, which is Jesus, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So he's telling them about Jesus. You yourselves know what happened Throughout all Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism of John proclaimed. This is how Peter says, this is how Jesus did, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with what? The Holy Spirit and with what? Power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed for the devil. Because why? God was with love how it reads that it lets us know that Jesus was not called into a perfect world and Acts 1 lets us know he is not sending us to a perfect world he is letting us know 
that he is giving us power. That's what I keep getting. It's one thing to have knowledge about Jesus. It's one thing to know the teachings of Jesus. The disciples knew this. They knew it better than you and me. They actually lived it. They lived with him, ate with, they knew knew how he responded to certain people. They knew it all. But Jesus said, hold on, you know a lot, but you don't have a lot. You're going to have to wait in Jerusalem for some power. You have a vehicle with no gasoline. You have windshield wipers with a broken battery, and they ain't wiping nothing. As I thought about this, think about it for just a second. Think about driving down the street with the person that you love with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you love, and you're supposed to be on this amazing maybe date or family event or something. And maybe the people behind you, sitting behind you, are people that you've given your life for, literally, And I don't know about you, but something happens in the car. That little 12-inch console that separates the two front seats might as well be a continent because your hearts are two continents apart. And I don't know about you, but when the Bible says, love my neighbor as myself, I wish I had enough mental capacity to make that happen. When it says, pray for my enemies, those that persecute me and those that write bad things about me and those that talk bad about me and those that treat me wrong and say bad things about my family and actually accuse me and do the, when the Bible says pray for them, I don't know about you, but I do not have the power to be able to make the difference in that. I need a power that's greater. When I look at the Jesus way and I look at the Jesus teachings that he has given to us, I don't know about you, but I know on my phone, the Bible app and Instagram are centimeters apart from one another and it is just so much easier to go to social media and see what's going on and get my news and get who I should be rather than just tapping one centimeter over to the right and getting what Jesus has affirmed about me being righteous I don't know about you but I walk into work the other day it's the first of the month and I'm frustrated I don't remember what happened something happened that morning I walked in I wasn't greeted the way that I thought I was going to be greeted and something happened because I mean it just kind of threw me off I'm walking out in the parking lot and I got this guy good friend now he just thinks I'm funny and he always calls me preach he goes preach what's wrong with you like man I had a mask on there's no way he could have saw my face but I'm probably vibing all kinds of stuff he says, and he started singing this Bone Thugs and Harmony song about being the first of the month. And I started laughing. And it was, I just was like, bro, you don't know I needed that so bad. But the thought between how frustrated I was and how, it wasn't like it was a mountain moving thought. It was just simply a click of thought. Why is it that we can't do that on our own? Why can't we live in joy and peace, patience, kindness? Why can't we treat the people that live in our house the way they need to be treated? Why do we respond the way that we respond? The truth is this, because we need a power that's greater than our selfish power. We need the Holy Spirit power. When I realize what we've been built from, the Spirit, the Spirit's power, Jesus was built from that, it tells me what I'm built for. I'm not built for myself. I'm not built for a comfortable culture. I'm built to be filled 
with the Holy Spirit. I'm built to be full of the teachings of Jesus. I am built to be connected to a divine community that will remind me to stay filled and stay focused on Jesus. What's the end of the angel's message? Don't forget this whole movement is about Jesus. We are living for the return of Jesus. Not the riches of this world, not not the pride of life, not the accolades that can come to those who are just do it okay and they get to a certain level. I am living because there is a Jesus that's been resurrected. He is returning for his bride. That's what I'm to live for, Jesus. When my eyes and my focus get clouded by the things of this world and the news of this world, I slowly forget Jesus. But church, Jesus is inviting us to a movement. Once again, be moved into his kingdom, by his kingdom, and for his kingdom. Because it's his kingdom, it's his purpose, and it's his teachings that will truly change us. Over the next couple of weeks, we are going to be looking at that. How then do I stay connected to the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? What is the purpose then of us gathering if the church isn't a building? Band, if you would come. I know we had Hope's anthem, but if we could do the first song. We're going to sing. But rather than sing a song, I'm going to pray. As I pray, I'm going to pray that our eyes and our focus and our perspective get shifted to Jesus. Being reminded what we're built from, so we know what we're built for. Tomorrow when you wake up and the chaos, no matter what shows you, no matter if the government says things have to shut down, you don't have to believe the church stops. You can know you were built for this. You can make this. You can do this. We will do this when we keep our eyes on Jesus, build our lives on his word, we stay committed and connected to the divine community the way that he called us to. Father, I thank you right now that our life would just be awakened to the truth of Jesus again. (laughs) What we're built for. Because when we realize what we're built from, we were, we were built from trying times, frustrations. We were built from that. Why? Because the church was built for it, to bring hope, to bring healing, to bring power, to bring translation, to bring the movement of Jesus. Jesus, you said you would be moved from Ju- Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the other, other most parts of the earth. God, our jobs, our businesses, our families. I thank you that you will move us. You will remind us of your goodness and your grace. Holy Spirit, you again would be working in our hearts, in our lives, to move us. Jesus, we get our eyes set on We thank you, Holy Spirit, right now, just for a fresh filling, a fresh reminder, a fresh understanding of what we have because of you. John 14, 26 says, you remind us 
of everything the Father has said. You'll remind us of the truth of Jesus. We thank you for it.